Welcome to our Creator Calls, where we seek truth together. The other day, a friend shared with me that she had barely escaped being a victim of sex trafficking when she was a teenager. Although she was sexually abused, thankfully she was able to get away just in time before she was trafficked. About 40 million people are enslaved by human trafficking around the world, and it's not just happening somewhere else. As my friend can attest, sex trafficking is a growing problem right here in Canada. About 90% of the victims are young girls and women under the age of 35. My next guest is Laura Ross. When she found out about the rising crisis of sex trafficking and exploitation in Canada, Laura decided to help as many of these women as she can. In 2018, she founded SEEDS, which stands for Supporting Every Eve's Daughter Safely. A voice, a voice calling in your wilderness. Good morning, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know that you are somewhere in Northern Ontario, and I appreciate you taking your time to meet with me today to talk about a very important subject. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So let's just start with how you came about this whole idea to start a ministry for women who have been trafficked and exploited sexually? Mm, sure. I mean, it's my story. Obviously, everyone's stories are different. But um, my story began on a Wednesday, when I found out about the issue of human trafficking. It was through an offhanded comment of my husband's doctor. They met for lunch um, the one day and then my husband came home and shared with me. He's like, so this doctor was asking if we would consider converting our barn into a home for survivors of human trafficking. And I'm like, what is that? Um, I'd never heard of the issue before. I had no frame of reference for what he was talking about, let alone the issue of human trafficking. So, um, so I just started to do a lot of research. And from that conversation on, it just seemed like God was not letting go um, of this particular very dark issue. I would say that you are not alone there. From your research since then, would you say that this is largely a very hidden subject? I would say that most people have no idea, just like you had no idea until it was brought to your attention. Would you say that's the, the truth? Yes, exactly. Um, so the years since then, it's, my husband was just reminding me, it's been 10 years since that, uh, the episode that brought him to his doctor. And, uh, and so all the research that I've done since then shows, yes, it is a very hidden and dark uh, conversation, dark issue, dark topic. Um, when we first started doing presentations, we had uh, teachers in the room that had their jaws dropped the entire time that we were talking about human trafficking because they'd never heard of it, let alone heard of it so close. So when I first learned of the issue, it was, it seemed more to be in Cambodia or Thailand or Vietnam or other countries, right? And it was brought a closer to home 
um, because this doctor had said that, you know, women were being brought over in containers, that they were being released onto the streets of Hamilton through shipping containers. And so that was my first understanding of human trafficking. And since then, we've learned so much more. And the statistic says that 93% of Canadian, of trafficked women are Canadian girls um, or Canadian women. So they're right here in Canada and who are being trafficked, not necessarily being brought in from other countries. That would definitely be a revelation for most people, whether they're Christian or not. Most people, because, you know, you go with your day-to-day activities, and this is a very hidden thing, as we've already said. So, and really good point when you said about if you have heard about it, you're thinking, oh, that's happening in Cambodia, that's happening in Vietnam or Thailand or somewhere far away that doesn't affect me. But this really is something that is affecting our daughters. I love the name of your ministry. Could you tell us why you came up with that name and how that relates to the fact that this is happening to people, you might even know them in your own classroom, like you said, for those teachers, your own family sometimes. I would say that most people are connected to somebody possibly indirectly or directly that Mm -hmm. has been involved with this and they didn't even know it. Yes, that's exactly it, unfortunately. So we came up with the name. Um, a girlfriend of mine, were sitting at, we were sitting at her kitchen table and just talking about what I, the vision that I felt God had given me for this ministry. And she's like, well, what about seeds? Like you enjoy gardening. And I mean, when you think about a seed, that's it's buried in dirt and in darkness and covered by manure and it seems symbolic of what these women have been going through so much of their life but then but then someone comes along and starts watering that seed and um and then god comes well god's always been there but it seems like god comes along and starts the growth pattern that comes from this little tiny seed that's been buried in dirt. And so, yes, we have seen um, in the young women that I've been able to support over the last number of years, seen so much growth in them because someone came along and poured water on and, and provided the light, to be honest, that they need in order to grow. And God has been causing so much growth in their lives. Um, but you're right, this does extend to so many people that are that is closer than they think. And the girls that I minister to, they're in my city, they're in cities surrounding us. Um, I just had somebody the other day saying that she is fearful that her daughter who ran away in our city has been groomed for trafficking. And, and so it's, it is very scary, unfortunately. Just the other night, uh, just I think a couple of days after you and I spoke, arranging this interview, I was talking to a friend of mine, and she shared with me how she had been groomed, was in the process of being groomed for trafficking. And fortunately, it didn't go that far, but it almost did. And yeah, I, and I know other people who I personally know, same thing. And again, it was always around the age for both of them anyway, around the age of, of 15 is when it happened to them, which seems to be a pretty common age. So 
Can you give us an example of how this grooming process happens? Mm-hmm. So yes, the average age, the statistics say that the average age is 12 to 14 for a girl to be entering into a trafficking scene. So the typical way I would say that it happens within Canada is what we call a Romeo pimp. And so he is an older young man. He could be older teens, like late teens, early 20s, mid 20s even. And he approaches uh, a young girl and whether that's at a mall or at a party that they've gone to or um, they call them hotel parties or just places where teenagers typically hang out. Um, And he approaches her and just strikes up a conversation. So he comes across as a possible boyfriend, um, hence the name Romeo Pimp. And so he engages her with conversation. And then as things might progress, um, they, he would bring her out to um, bars if he can get her into bars or just out for dinner, spending money on her, um, buying her things that she wouldn't necessarily be able to afford herself. And so he just begins that whole process of what what we call grooming um, in order to get her to a point where he says she needs to pay him back now. And that's when things, the tables sort of turn and she goes more into a a guilt period um, because he has flipped the tables on her and said, I bought you all these things. Um, Can you just do this thing for me with my friend. It typically starts with a friend, a friend of his, and uh, and then it goes on oftentimes very quickly from there to the exploitation. And then he tends to keep her in line um, by turning again and saying that, you know what, if you don't do these things, I will beat you or I will go after your sister or your little brother because I know where they go to school. And um, as a good friend of mine says, the chains aren't on their wrists necessarily, they're in their heads. And so they, they go after these young women by, um, by threatening and <clears throat> turning all those love comments into, into threats, unfortunately. I have heard stories like this and I've known about this for many years. And yet just to hear you talk, it brings tears to my eyes that women are going through this type of thing. Do these perpetrators, is there a certain MO that they look for, a certain type of of girl that they can spot, that they can easily manipulate to draw them into the whole trafficking scene? Mm -hmm. They are looking a lot more online and because young women are not keeping necessarily keeping their social platforms private, um, anyone can see when they're having a hard day, and they're they've had a fight with their parents, or and they've put that out on social media, um, and so they capitalize on that and they begin a conversation whether they have known them previously or not, or they've just introduced themselves to them. Um, those are typically the ways that um, that they will get into a young woman's life, and yeah, it's it's 
like you said, it's very frightening to think how sort of easily our young women are falling prey to these men. But when you think of so many breakdowns in our society of of um, our understanding of what healthy relationships look like, our understanding of uh, what positive reinforcement actually is, what real love is, then they are finding these counterfeit examples all over the place in these young men and uh, and unfortunately falling, like I said, falling prey to those kind of things. And at that age when, when this is normally happening, girls are still trying to figure out who they are. They're trying to figure out their identity. They often are dealing with, you know, um, anxiety and, and feelings of, am I good enough? And all of those yeah. things that teenagers go through. And then when you put social media on top yeah. of that and the bullying and all of that, that goes in there trying to live up to this social media standard, which is not even reality. It really becomes so difficult from your experience and your research, has the prevalence of the sex trafficking, has that increased as there has been more, I mean, in the last, let's say the last 15 years since social media mm-hmm. has really become a major thing and, and girls, plus they sexualize themselves on social media as well to try and make themselves look as beautiful as possible. Would you say that there's been an increase that has been in correlation with how we've seen social media grow as well? Yes, definitely. Um, there was an increase when um, when the laws changed. So I think it was in 2018 that uh, the prostitution laws changed in Canada. And it became legal for a woman to sell sex, but it became illegal for a John to buy sex. So the emphasis, it was helpful because the emphasis was then put on the prostitute being a victim. And so it changed our focus of, for, from a policing aspect, um, which was helpful. And, but then it became mm, more, I don't know what the word is, um, that it became just more understandable and more frequent, like you said, um, more prominent, I guess the word is. And, uh, and then just the divide between sex work and sexual exploitation became a bit of a broader divide. And uh, so then there was that which um, helped or didn't help necessarily. And then there was COVID where everything was taken from the streets to online and such a huge jump during COVID for um, all the interactions that went online, whether it was pornography that was that's perpetrating uh, the sexual exploitation industry, or whether it was social media that these young women are now more on social media because they were forced to be in order to communicate uh, with their friends and, and people in their lives. And so yes, uh, many people have talked about how much more prevalent human trafficking is now than it was, like you said, 15 years ago. Do these girls, does anybody know? I mean, do they even confide in their friends? Does anybody know what's going on or are they doing this all in secret? Um, 
this is the challenge. So I had one of the young women that I supported, she said she wished her friends would have pushed back when she was starting to push people away um, because he comes along and he's he becomes her everything. But he also says, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what we're doing. Don't talk to anybody about me, about our relationship, where I'm taking you. Um, it just, he, he wants it to become a big secret. So, and then I had a young, another young woman who was being trafficked from her home. And there were so many signs that if her parents had known anything about human trafficking, they would have said, oh my gosh, this is what's happening to you. Um, but they didn't know about the issue, so they couldn't feel like they could necessarily help. So she was stealing from her parents. She was taking money from their drawers. She was taking items out of their house to be sold for money because she had been, unfortunately, she'd been um, trafficked for a number of, I think it was even years. And she's just like, I don't really want to do this anymore. So if all they want is money, then I'll just steal money for them and give them money um, so that I don't have to do the acts of sexual exploitation. So it very much is a private and solo issue and very dark topic for these young women, mostly because they're threatened to keep their silence. It's hard enough to talk about things that are involving sexual abuse. That's hard enough. Yeah. But then when you're dealing with, I have to protect my family, they're going to be hurt if I yeah. say anything about this. I, can, I can't even imagine how stressful that would be. Now, you mentioned about the parents, that if only they'd known the signs. You mentioned a few about the stealing. But what are some of the key signs that you could even see with girls all around you, but you're not really noticing them because you don't know what you're seeing how, what, what are some of those signs that people could, could spot and know that this is what's going on? Right. Um, oftentimes it would be, you could look at a young woman's sort of demeanor when she's with an older man and, and see that she is fearful or afraid or, um, or just feel like she's um, being trapped. Like she just has a look about her that can is different than most teenagers who are just walking down the street right uh, so there are ways in order to spot that when you're out in larger cities more um and the big a big thing like i was saying earlier was um when friends start to push away and they really isolate themselves and they say oh they say things like oh you wouldn't understand what i'm going through or you wouldn't um sometimes you wouldn't believe me if I told you what was going on. And so a lot of the, um, the shame that they're feeling is used um, and comes out in anger and comes out in um, a lot of terminology that people who aren't really part of the game, which is what it's called, um, don't understand. So I once had a, a biblical counselor who had been counseling one of the girls that I'm now working with. And when I was first introduced, she said, Laura, she's talking about things. I have no idea what she's talking about. And part of my thinking was like, well, you're the biblical counselor. Don't you understand? But it's just the terminology alone 
um, is so foreign to the regular public. So when they start to change their their words and change the, especially the topics of conversation, and and they they tend to look down on their friends like, well, you're just I'm older and more mature than you, so this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's in the initial stages, right? And then unfortunately, when things turn um, and they get violent, that attitude isn't as prevalent as much as the fear and the um and the scared uh the scared hearts and the scared faces look afterwards so are there questions that you could ask somebody that would be able to identify it or unveil what was going on like an actual question that if you asked it it would be obvious that there's something this is not normal Mm. do you mean you're asking directly to the young woman yeah Mm -hmm. like let's say she's with a guy that you could there's, you know, I just want to make sure that this is okay and up and up. Is there a question that you could ask that, because I know that they would get some answers to say for any kind of circumstances, but is there a a question maybe that you could ask that would not be, that would identify or reveal the fear and the circumstance underneath what's really going on? I mean, you could start with, are you okay? Um, Because Typically, I would answer that if I really was like terrified of the person that I was with, I would say, no, I'm not okay. What you do next is, yeah, can vary quite a bit, whether you call the police or whether you just monitor her from a distance, because um, I mean, even police will say, do not get involved right then if you see something um, just because it's so potentially dangerous at that moment because you don't know what he has on him you don't know if he's got a gun on him you don't know if he's got um, other people watching him or watching them um, that could intervene so many of the girls are trapped in much bigger circles than just one trafficker Right. It's it's usually a hierarchy of of men and women, unfortunately, um, who are who are doing all the exploitation. So it's rarely just one person because that's usually called a pimp. And he might it's a little different. I know the lines are a bit blurred, um, pimping versus trafficking, but trafficking is when it's exploiting the young woman completely and she it doesn't get any part of the of the financial gain if you could call it that whereas pimping he will give her a portion of what she earns and um so that's the difference i would say there um but asking i i think it really just starts with asking if she's okay and if there's anything that you could do to help um, depending on the whole cir- circumstance and whole situation of what, how you're getting involved or how you seek to get involved. So just starting there. From your experience, what would you say that the generally the time period is between that initial so-called honeymoon phase? I don't even want to call it that, but you know what I mean? Before yeah. she realizes this is not what she thought. Bef- when she realizes this guy doesn't actually really care about me. He doesn't love me. He actually just wants to use me for this reason to exploit me and, and to traffic me. How long does that normally take? Or is there a a common period? 
Yes, they say that it averages from a couple of weeks to a couple of months. Um, I did have one of the girls that I've supported say it took two years for her trafficker to actually groom her. Um, so it is quite a range, but typically it's a couple of weeks to a couple of months and then they turn and they change their whole attitude towards her, uh, which then turns everything into the trafficking situation it becomes. We've heard about stories like Jeffrey Epstein as an example with his island, with these young girls being trafficked and brought to the island. But I think there's still this feeling among most people in our society, oh, that was just, you know, something that was an anomaly. That's not something that would normally happen. That's not going to happen in my neighborhood. That's not going to happen to my daughter. And that's why I love the the name of your ministry, because it's these are all daughters. And even mm-hmm. if they're not my daughter or my friend's daughter or somebody I know, they are somebody's daughter. That's right. Right? And do you think that, how do we get to the point where, what, it, what do you think needs to happen so that people realize that this is an issue that's happening all around us and we need to wake up to it because these are somebody's daughter? Yes, I think... It really starts with, well, compassion. And like you said, understanding that this, I think bringing it home and a little closer to home for each person is is recognizing that it could be your neighbor, it could be your granddaughter, it could be your granddaughter's best friend. Um, You know, bringing those things a little closer to home makes it more personal. The challenge is that it's, it's, getting that way, if not already that way. Um, The number of people that I have had approach me and say, wow, I heard about this young girl in our area. She disappeared and, you know, she turned up as a, like on the streets or on, like on someone's website, unfortunately. And so it is becoming a bit more prevalent in bringing it closer to home. Um, I find that when we first started talking about this issue of human trafficking, even seven years ago, there was that shock and awe kind of wow response. And now when we give presentations, uh, you ask people to raise their hand, have you heard about this issue? And generally people have heard about the issue. They don't still always know how close it is to home, but most of the people are being educated to know that it's happening within Canada. They just might still think of it outside of their own personal realms. Um, so I think when we bring it a bit closer to home and we uh, we start talking about, okay, show us what you would talk to somebody about, about healthy relationships and, and those kind of things, that, um, that when we have those conversations, it does, it does change things. Um, I just did a presentation the other night and, and that's what one of the dad asks. He said, so how can we prevent this? And it really, it can start from those initial conversations with our kids, with our kids' friends, and, uh, and so as people become more aware of the issue, then they in turn can become more compassionate and will want to do something uh, to help, which is great. 
you talked about a conversation with your with your daughter starting there what would you say to a daughter to a, a niece to somebody who's in that age range what would you say to them as to how they can be aware as well to prevent themselves from getting involved in something like this right um i think those conversations like i was saying just they come about because um, we want to reduce the risk of vulnerability so uh, being able to talk to our kids or our friends kids about um, what does real love look like and if somebody were to come up to you and start talking to you and flattering you and giving you all kinds of positive affirmation like what would be your response to that especially if you didn't know them um, you know like we used to teach stranger danger um, and now we can't really we can't really go there because of social media and because of the uh, the internet and how our world has just exploded in so many ways of meeting people that we don't necessarily know and so having conversations about um, what do they want from you why would they why would they want to just buy something for you uh, without you giving them anything in return like you know did they ask for your phone number what are they you know those kind of conversations about why someone would take an interest in you and and you have to reiterate it's not because you're not a beautiful young woman or those kind of amazing things about you that we think they're crazy to be involved with you but it's more of what do you think they want from that conversation where are they wanting the conversation to go and and in turn where do you want it to go like is there do you feel like there's something missing from your life that um, is then attracted to whatever they are pushing you into and so it's there's a lot of conversations um, but just starting somewhere uh, so that they can raise their level of awareness on the fact that not everybody is safe. We like to think that people are safe mm -hmm. and they're kind and they're considerate. Um, but when somebody is approaching a young woman, especially an older guy, teenage guy, approaching a young woman anywhere, you have to sort of wonder what are his intentions in doing that. With young girls, as we mentioned earlier, there's so much, they're just trying to figure out who they are. So mm -hmm. I would say that it's really important also to give them a, a real sense of their own worth. Like you mentioned earlier, this is not about you because you're, you're awesome and you are going to be um, an amazing person for anybody to be with, but to educate them how to feel good about themselves. Because I think these guys tend to prey on girls who are going through a rough time, who are, you know, maybe feeling a little bit lesser than, like you said, online, they said they've had a, a you know, problem with their parents or whatever. They're looking for people that they can exploit, that they can abuse. And if you're, so the best thing I would think is to, to help kids, help our kids, our, our, our own daughters and their friends and whoever we know to realize how, much worth that they have already so that they can feel confident in themselves so that exactly. they can they can better see someone 
who is just trying to flatter them and is not really being real. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I just was also wondering, you mentioned about the whole stranger thing because people are becoming less strangers because of the internet, right? So is that also a common thing where they would um, befriend you online, get to know you online, and then have a you know meet up somewhere else? Is that a common thing in, in this whole uh, trafficking yes. scenario? Yes, very, all too common, actually. And like they will, traffickers will come in and they'll use Minecraft and they'll use like a, a children's game where there's chat rooms, right? And they'll they'll pretend to be a 12-year-old male when they're a 35-year-old male or a 35-year-old female. And they go off into a separate chat room with this child and they create a relationship. And then it turns into, oh, hey, I hear we're in the same city. And, oh, do you want to meet up at the park? We could play basketball or something, right? And just starting those um, crazy relationship beginnings um, and so they're so sinister and so much of it has happened online particularly or there's snapchat and where women don't necessarily put their they put their locate me buttons on like it's just crazy the amounts of um, public mm, domain and uh, access that strangers have to our kids because for one is we as parents aren't necessarily aware of all that's um, all that's out there because we were raised in a very different generation than our kids and they don't necessarily have their radars up that this is um, a red flag and so a lot of a lot of trafficking happens online, whether it's through Instagram or Snapchat or uh, Kick is another one, and Minecraft, like like children's games, things like that. A lot of things come about because people can pretend to be someone behind the scenes that they're not really, and in that way they gain access to our kids through a potential meetup. And the child doesn't necessarily think anything is wrong. And again, the, um, the trafficker would say, don't tell anybody that we're gonna meet at the park. We're just gonna get together and, uh, and you know, chat for a little bit or whatever. Um, but a lot of it is very secretive. And that's another thing that they tend to push on, um, on children, on vulnerable young women so that their secret, they feel like their secret is kept for a little bit longer anyways. The secret. Whenever yeah. there's a secret, that's a, a big thing to let people know, right? Whenever there's a secret, that is a major clue. Because that happens yeah. a lot with, with child sexual abuse. I mean, what any kind of abuse really, yeah. don't tell anybody. And right. that's something that, that women need to know, and, and boys too. But yes. And what you mentioned about the, the social media we try to really tell our kids. I mean, it is a completely different world. You're, you're, you're right. I don't think, well, for sure, kids today could not even imagine a world without social media, without right. all of these platforms that they go on. That's how they communicate. It's completely different, right? right? And yet, right. even though I know there have been uh, programs and, and um, basically at school, people have tried to say you need to be aware that everything you put online usually a lot anyone can see it not only that but they own it 
those platforms own yeah. everything that you put online. It's there forever, right? Yeah. We yeah. try we tried to warn our, our own children about that. But even them, they were they're both, you know, they were just kind of growing up when it was really getting bad. But now kids, you know, they get a laptop or a phone when they're people give it to them when they're kids, little yes. children, right? So what can we do to to make that really clear? This is you need to be aware that everything you do is online. I mean, the the amount of, of um, you know, it used to be, let's say back in the Second World War when they were researching people and, and finding out about people and monitoring people. Well, now they don't even have to do anything because people put all of their information right there for anyone to see. It's so easy to track people and to follow people and to snare people into this type of thing. So what would you say to people to protect themselves from doing that? Yeah, I mean, funny enough, there's actually videos that you can watch online that specifically talk about how to protect yourself. I watched this one video one time of this, um, of this dad who was just trying to show his kids how easily, or parents really in general, how easily it would be to take a child. He had a little puppy and he was taking it through the park and all these kids that came clamoring towards this little puppy. And, you know, he looks around and there's not a parent in sight. And it, like, it's just, there are videos that can show them how the staggering reality of what is out there on social media and how kids can be lured in because of of what they do but you're right our our lives are so public now i mean we tell everybody what we have for supper so our lives are so public that um it's almost like there's we don't want to actually keep anything to ourselves anymore um and so like i said there's videos that um, that you can show your own kids uh, of research that's been done on on the implications and the things that can happen because we put our whole lives out on social media. So I would suggest watching a couple of those. I don't have specific examples, unfortunately, right now, but I would suggest watching a couple of those just to, um, just like eye openers are the biggest thing. So especially that was one of the things that we talked about uh, did presentations um, i would ask for a show of hands for those who have um, private settings on their social media a handful of kids would actually raise their hands and admit they had private settings and so i try to turn the conversation around and not point fingers at them but say okay so what if your little brother or little sister had what you have on social media, would you tell them to make it private? And of course, like, yeah, of course I would. Um, but they think they're, we, they think they're as teenagers, they're invincible and, and they won't get hurt and they know how to take care of themselves and, and all these kind of things. So, um, yeah, just again, starting those conversations with our kids about, the sort of the dangers of social media and what can happen is a great preventative tool. It's interesting that you mentioned about the fact that 
kids at this age, they think they're invincible. Well, nothing's going to happen to me. And that just plays into this, this whole thing. Where do you see this going? I mean, obviously you've started this ministry. Where do you see your ministry going? What do you see happening in the future as more people hopefully will find out and really realize the magnitude of trafficking in our midst? The unfortunate reality is that our ministry is needed, that uh, young women who come out of um, sex trafficking and sexual exploitation, they need a lot of help. And our government, our systems are not necessarily in place to provide that yet. Um, So... I see our our organization, hopefully others like us, providing the counseling, the therapy that these young women need, and providing the the social settings. Like so, like I, the statistic says, twelve to fourteen is the average age. You think about how much a child does not know when they've left home at the age of twelve, and how much they need to learn about just life in general, how to boil water, how to cook eggs, how to do their laundry, um, those kind of just logistical things that like an entire generation is growing up without any clue about how to take care of themselves, let alone, unfortunately, taking care of the next generation that comes after them. And um, so I see our organization as providing a place where um, the women who come to us receive mentors, receive counseling, and uh, all kinds of wraparound support systems for them. And as we all know, healthcare is, um, well, it's just really expensive for some of these young women, especially dental care or counseling, it's not provided. Um, and there's so much, unfortunately, there's so much help needed uh, for these young women. And so I see your organization stepping into that gap, if you would, and uh, providing with our community who there are a number of things set up, but they tend to be isolated. And so our organization wants to bring them all together so that they're seen as like a whole in order to provide for the women that we want to provide for. And I know that there are other organizations similar to ours that are wanting the same thing as to provide those wraparound services in through one organization. Yeah, there's so much need for for this mm. for sure. Now you are based in uh, southern Ontario with one house recovery home, That's so right. to speak, to start. How does it relate to Ontario? Obviously, is the biggest population in our country, aside from maybe Quebec, they're pretty similar, but what about the other provinces? Do you, um, because I know there's a problem out here where I live in Vancouver Mm -hmm. area, a lot of people coming from Asia, you know, or going to Asia, you know, there's a lot of that kind of thing, but right here in Canada, what do you see happening in that regard? Do you see expansion hopefully in the future or, yeah. Yeah. Um, The challenge when we started uh, about, well, nine years ago, I guess, just starting to think through this whole process, there were only five homes all across Canada that worked specifically with survivors of human trafficking. There's a lot of women's shelters, 
um, but they're a little different, right? Because the trauma that a young woman goes through in being exploited 10 to 15 times a night um, with different men is just, it's vastly different than a woman who's been in an abusive situation with one or two men in her life. Do you know what I mean? I'm not trying to diminish at all uh, what abused women go through, but it is vastly different. And so when there's only five homes across Canada that many years ago, now there's um, a handful more, but this, the need is still really, really great um, for others to join in and to, um, to support and help young women where they're needed. Um, I know there's a statistic that says that Ontario is 60% of um, the rate of human trafficking all across Canada. So we unfortunately host the largest amount of, um, of women who are trafficked. I know it's prevalent in every province for sure. Um, there are, I think there are homes across, I'm not sure about Quebec exactly, but I think there are homes for survivors all across Canada now, which is fantastic. I just wanted to talk about the spiritual aspect of this. Mm -hmm. The main reason why I wanted to do this podcast is what's getting in the way of me getting closer to God. Now, mm -hmm. I would imagine, well, I can't really imagine it, but it would be hard to fathom a young girl saying, where was God in all this? How did God allow this to happen to me? Where was he through this? Yeah. How does a girl who hopefully, because many don't even find help, so I'm so thankful for, for ministries like yours, where do you go to that to say, mm. God was there, but how do you bridge that gap i mean how where does that happen and to let them know that this is a, really at its core a spiritual issue of darkness right. trying to destroy a young life yeah the crazy thing so i i've grown up in a christian home i've been a christian most of my life and so all of this is so foreign to me right and um the one thing that I heard repeatedly was that I knew there was a God because there was so much evil. And the women were confronted with the evil in their life. And so they knew on the flip side of that, that there had to be a God who was in control. Whether they saw him as loving or not is a totally different journey, but they at least had the understanding that there had to have been a God because of all the evil that they saw. Um, and the survivors that I've been working with more recently, they all had a sense of God keeping them and God keeping them alive, keeping them from um, like certain really bad things. I mean, they went through really, really bad things, but keeping them from worse things. And so their perspective and how they share that with me is just, it's been mind blowing um, because it, you would think that you, like you would think that God would abandon you if you were left in the situations that many of these women found themselves in. But on the other side of that, they actually saw God as keeping them in the midst of so many of their things. Um, one young woman 
that I've been working with for a number of years, she had attempted suicide many times. And she confessed to me, she's like, I don't know why I'm still here. Like, I don't understand. I, you know, like I should have completed suicide like a number of times the way that she had attempted. And I looked at her and I'm like, God still has a purpose for you. And she's like, I know, I don't get what it is, but I know, I know he does. And, you know, and so the things that in some ways would turn us off of God, turn them to God, which is beautiful to see. There's something about when you experience deep evil, like you said, then you know that God must be real. I have uh, just, I mean, I wasn't involved in anything like this, but I was involved in some some dark things in my past. And literally that scripture that says that I was taken from the kingdom of darkness and rescued and brought into the kingdom of light, I really relate to that. And how much more somebody who has gone through this. Because those girls who get out and who are able to be mentored and helped and have the recovery and all the things that you're helping them with, they've got a story and they've, they've got a, a, a testimony to tell so many other girls that I don't have or you don't have, but they have. And, and I love that about the way that God works. He takes our story that can only relate to people who have been through the same thing it's like that brokenness and when we're healed, how healing it can be, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is there anything else before we end off here that you'd like to share, Laura, with people who are listening about how they can get involved or just whatever you would like to share? Mm. I, you know, people ask me, well, how did, like, how did you get involved? How did you stay involved? And, and I said, well, it really, I really just started somewhere. And I think that would be sort of my advice to somebody who feels the need or the want to do something would be just to start somewhere, whether it's, you know, creating backpacks and putting um, shampoos and different things in for organizations such as ours or, or like, or homeless shelters or things like that, right? Just start somewhere, do what you can. There's um, a verse in Mark chapter 14, verse 8, that Jesus commended the woman who, um, who poured the, the nard all over his head and the other disciples were, um, were telling her off for having done that. And Jesus just said, she did what she could. And so that would be my advice or my word to somebody who's just wondering, well, what can I do, Lord? and just look at what's in your hand and just take that step of obedience, that step of faith into what God is calling us into. Um, just deeper relationships with him primarily, but we can accomplish that through, um, through deeper relationships with others. Got to start somewhere, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Would uh, I thought it would be good for us to just uh, pray at the end here. Yeah. Uh, for these women, uh, for your ministry. Lord, just lead us in prayer. If you'd like to start and then I can finish off, that would be awesome. Sure. Father God, I just thank you that your heart is for these young women. 
you know exactly where they are right now and the depths of darkness that they feel they are in. Lord God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would pull back the darkness and reveal the light of Jesus into their lives, into their circumstances. Would you provide them and fill them with hope for a better tomorrow? Would they be able to see the goodness around them in the midst of the darkness? And that you would provide a hand up, a hand out, um, someone to walk alongside them until they can truly be set free from all that encompasses them and all that pulls them down. Father, I just thank you for, uh, for Gaytan and for her interest in just raising awareness. And so we just pray for your blessing upon her, upon this ministry of, of um, just doing what she can, Lord God to to further your kingdom to bless and encourage others and so lord we just thank you for this opportunity today and we pray that you would accomplish your purposes in and through it in jesus name amen yes lord and thank you for laura and this seeds ministry there are so many girls lord i pray that they would first of all that there would be people that would listen to some of these clues that we've said today to be aware to be more aware of the people around them to prevent this type of thing from happening and for girls that are in this or being lured into this i just pray lord that you would be with them and show them that that there is hope and there is a way out and they don't have to stay in this mm-hmm. And for people who are listening to this, because you can hear all this and say, oh, it's all around us. And there can be a tendency for people to feel fearful. And I pray that there would not be fear because your perfect love casts out all fear, but that we would not be afraid, but that we would be aware, knowing that you are always there and that we can really do something, each and every one of us, to tackle this, whatever it is that you want us to do. So I pray, Lord, that that this would be, again, a beginning, a continuation to help with this whole situation, that, that, that girls would not be drawn in, and that many, many who have been would find healing and hope, recovery, and freedom in you. Thank you, Father. We just ask for all of this in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for what you are going to do one step, one ministry, one word of hope at a time. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. A voice, a voice calling in your wilderness. When I accepted that Jesus is the truth that I had been seeking and the only way to eternal life, I was forever changed. In that moment, Jesus rescued me out of the kingdom of darkness and delivered me into his kingdom of glorious light. He truly set this captive free. So what about you? Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. When you're ready to receive Jesus as your savior, just talk to him. He's waiting for you with open arms. You can pray to him something like this. 
Jesus, I want to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Our Creator calls. Are you listening? There is one love, one truth, one way to know. When you turn to the sun, all darkness must go. A voice, a voice calls.